Today's scripture reading is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verses 13 to 19. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it's your life. Do not set foot on path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel it. Turn from it and go on your way. For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed for of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, this is the third sermon of the series on wisdom, on a taste of wisdom. And uh, I wonder if you remember how we finished last week. It's a risky question. Sometimes um, a preacher asks, do you, as I said last week, and then they don't remember what you said last week. But I will remind you. Uh, last week, uh, we finished the sermon with the image of Jesus, the wisdom of God, cooking breakfast for his disciples. Remember that? Jesus at the beach, Gospel of John, chapter 21, cooking breakfast for his disciples. Before his death and resurrection, Jesus had already provided food miraculously for thousands of people. Actually, did you know that uh, the feeding of thousands is the only miracle of Jesus that is in all four Gospels? It's interesting. Like, it's the only one that all Matthew, Mark, John, uh, Luke, and John uh, want to put in their, in their accounts. But last week's scene of Jesus cooking fish and bread is different. This action of cooking for someone takes time. As we should remember, cooking for someone shows love and care. It might not appear grandiose, as, as grandiose as feeding 5,000 miraculously, but it takes skill and patience. Like wisdom. Today, let me begin by drawing your attention to another beautiful portion of Scripture, Psalm 23. I know some of you have even memorized this psalm. I memorized Psalm 23 when I was eight years old, in Spanish, of course. And in Spanish, there was this verse that always drew my attention. Um, I guess it was because of the old translation. But... Um, I'm sure you'll agree that um, uh, Psalm 23 has one of the most beautiful beginning lines of all scripture. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's one of the best beginnings of any portion of scripture. But the line in Psalm 23 that actually made me stop and think about who God is, what he's like, is in verse 5. Of Psalm 23, when the author speaks to God directly, saying, You prepare 
a table for me. Setting the table can be elaborate and fancy. But it also can be a daily, ordinary, even humble thing to do. Preparing the table for someone means creating space for hospitality. That is, offering a place for someone to be safe, a place of belonging. Because of this, even if it doesn't look like it, setting the table at home, setting the table in the fellowship room here behind, setting the table in our Tuesday evening community meals is a sacred thing to do. We are called to do, we are all called to do this at home, at church, and in the city. We're called to set tables. One of the lessons about the sacredness of pastoral ministry that I learned from Arturo, my dad, is this. People won't remember your sermons as much as they will remember the times you visited with them. Humbling. Of course, this is not an excuse for poor preaching. <laughs> but it is an affirmation of the importance of the sacredness of the ordinary. Common spaces where life happens. This sermon series is an invitation for us to enjoy this aspect of faith. Discipleship and mission. The common spaces the ordinary times of our days. Yes, there is a need and, um, and a time for eloquent teaching and preaching and for exuberant worship. And thank you to the worship team once again. Thank you to the choir once again. What happens in this sanctuary is indeed important. But it is not more important than what happens at our dinner tables, at our desks, or at the playground. These are the places where wisdom has to be lived out. According to Proverbs 4, verse 13, living out wisdom is not an optional thing to do. It's about life and death. What happens, what happens if we don't grow in wisdom? What happens to us? In the following verses, we receive five strong cautions to avoid the way of the wicked. Five strong cautions. Okay? Do not enter. Do not walk. Avoid it. Don't go. Okay? In Proverbs, um, so we're not to enter there where the wicked are doing their thing, when, where the evil, evildoers are planning their plots. In Proverbs, the wicked is used of impi impious uh, people who are greedy, especially those who oppress the poor. The wicked are violent. 
They threatened innocent life and speak perversely. The wicked are lustful. However, there are two expressions of wickedness that are a key concern for different parts of the book of Proverbs. As you've probably read in the studies in the, in the connection groups, there are different collections of Proverbs in the whole book of Proverbs, right? In all of them, there's this, there's a lot of emphasis on these two kinds of wickedness. One is foolishness. Fools. They're overly confident in their own opinions. 18, 2, 26, 12, 28, 26, etc., etc. They have no desire to grow and be challenged. They have no desire for education or for mentoring, I should say. They recklessly vent their opinions, their folly. I want to read this proverb to you because I find it absolutely fascinating and important for our lives. It's in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 9. Like a thorn that sticks in the hand of a heavy drinker, so is a proverb in the mouths of fools. There is something very interesting and dangerous about foolishness, about the fool. They might know bits of wisdom, but in their mouths, that piece of wisdom is like a sharp object. It's like putting a knife in the man of a drunk. That is why it's particularly dangerous for Christians to become arrogantly confident in their own opinions. Even the goodness and wisdom of the Bible can become dangerous, as dangerous as a knife in the hands of a drunken person. This is a terribly sad thing to see. And yet, how often Christians talk to each other, we talk to each other, quoting the scripture, but with this attitude, but with this lack of wisdom. The next level of wickedness that Proverbs is really, really telling us to stay away from is the mockers. They hate on anyone who might be trying to bring them insight. When we reach that level of wickedness, mockers, we've become addicted to our own foolishness. This is what verse 16 is talking about. Wickedness is addictive. See, verse 16 says, For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. Here's the issue. We are all better at catching foolishness in our neighbor. Right? Observe, noticing the foolishness of our neighbor. But not in ourselves. We, we're all like that. The truth is that we're all addicted to our own sins. This reality has personal and community dimensions. We Christians are not islands unto ourselves. We don't live in a bubble as Christians. 
we both shape and are shaped by our social environment, by our culture. Our behavior, interests, and priorities are in many ways conditioned by our cultural context. This has been throughout the case with Christians throughout history. Of course, we don't just blend in, but we live in culture, okay? So we thus envision society, interpret history, and plan our lives in accordance, in accordance with the interests of the social groups to which we belong. And this is a most challenging thing. Let me give you an example, okay? So as you know, the politics of the most uh, powerful nation in the history of the world are always news, are always in the news, right? And all over social media, especially here in Canada. So at the beginning of the year, I realized that our neighbors to the south, uh, they have an election, a presidential election this year, right? There's going to be a lot of, a lot of nasty, violent talk this year the news and the social media. That's what tends to happen in these election years, now more than in the past, it seems. On top of geographical proximity, nowadays, we have to face the reality of proximity, closeness, by algorithm. <laughs> Algorithms are calculations that computers make, okay? So algorithms are cal calculations that computers and servers in the internet make to push online content to your screen, okay? But these internet algorithms don't simply respond to your interest. They end up shaping your interests. Now, please remember that discipleship is the shaping of a person's mind and heart, okay? So, I fear that in years like this, we are particularly vulnerable to discipleship by algorithm. This is a dangerous condition. I pray that as, that as Christians, we won't follow the polarizing violence that feeds online content and interactions. Having said that, I want to draw your attention to verse 17. Or because I said that, I want to draw your attention to verse 17. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. In this verse, there is a table being set. In this table, there is bread and wine. But it is a bread of wickedness and a wine of violence. In our current cultural context, arrogance is being normalized. As Christians, we cannot fall into this way of talking and acting. We must really pay attention to verse 13. 
Wisdom is not just the means for making life, for making progress in life. Instead, wisdom is life itself. We cling to it for dear life. So instead of trying to replicate or to participate in the bread of wickedness and a wine of violence, let our path, our lives, be like the light of dawn, as verse 18 says. Whatever our cultural context, we are called to seek wisdom. In the words of the Apostle Paul, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worthy of anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Philippians 4.8. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is inviting us to a missional lifestyle. You know, when you are involved in the work, mission work, one of the most beautiful aspects of this work is discovering the good things about the culture that you're living in. What are the good things that are people are already doing. That is a key part of mission work. I have taken this approach uh, to my work here at Street Ministries in the city. So, for instance, every week I go and sit at other tables that are being set in the city. It can be a lunch at the Monday Cafe, a dinner at Jacob's Well, or a meal at the gathering place where I meet people. I talk to other pastors and ministers. I, uh, I visit community centers or other organizations. And I also, I would like to connect with businesses in the downtown to discover what good things are already being done here in the city and what we can learn from them. If we learn from them, we can discover how to honor God with our resources. And that if you might remember, it's a key ingredient of life to honor God with our resources. There is a need, indeed, there is a need for tables of goodness and welcoming in our city. Just the other day, uh, somebody in the city was asking me about a beautiful table that FBC used to set for others. It was called the Alzheimer's Cafe. They, these people that were asking me about it, they see the need for that and they want to do something similar. And they were asking me, oh, do you know how it started? So I'll connect you to the right people. And I'm, I'm trying to do that. There is, um, there is need, there is a need for tables of goodness. There is more beauty in our culture. The other day I was talking to a young adult in our congregation that is studying and working with parents who are raising kids with autism and other neurodivergent uh, conditions. 
it was an absolutely fascinating conversation because I got to hear how these parents learn to set the table for their kids. Set the table in the bigger sense of the phrase. Set the table for their kids as they are, with consistency and patience. So, as Christians seeking wisdom, we are called to ask what kind of table is being set for us and what kind of table we are called to set for others. This is not the topic of just a sermon series. It should guide our conversations, especially as we prepare to move to our new slash old building, right? You know, one of the aspects of wisdom in the book of Proverbs that it, that, that it grounds us in the day-to-day is real life, right? Is the emphasis on real life. It is the day-to-day that matters, the book of Proverbs would say. And I think this is an important thing to remember. It's an important thing to ask ourselves, who sets the table for whom at home? Who sets the table for whom here in the fellowship room? I'm going to be bold and suggest that for us as a community... This aspect of Proverbs means that we're all called to set the table at home, at church, work. And we're called to set the table today for the cultural context of today, which has changed even since the beginning of the pandemic. We're called to set the table for Vancouver of 2024, not of 2004, not of 1994, today. I thank God that as a church, we have shown a consistent presence in the city throughout the years. And I pray that on top of that, God will give us creativity to respond to the current realities and to honor him with our resources. He can do it. He will do it. Don't doubt about that. You and I can pray confidently that no one, that the one that sets the table for us, even more, sorry, we, you and I can pray confidently to the one that sets the table for us. Even more, we can set the table for others because of the one that sets the table for us. Yes, there is this amazing table, table of good bread and good wine. At this table... We are fed by him who makes the life of wisdom possible. At this table, we receive the nurture, fellowship, and training we need to become people who participate 
in his healing and in his reconciliation. This table gives new meaning to all the tables that we set. And eating the bread and the wine of Jesus can transform us and can transform eating in general so that it can be a welcoming and truly life-giving experience for all. I don't know what else there is in the house of the Lord. I don't think there is a pulpit. But I know there is a table. A table for us to sit together. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.